0: Jared Benko came on board as Georgia Southern's athletic director on April the 1st, 2020. That's right. He took over what is in essence a multi-million dollar business that is dependent on events and close relationships with customers in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, when most of us were, and some still are, hunkering down. He's drawn praise for his leadership during that span for managing the Eagle Athletics through the crisis. And he is our guest today on the Difference Makers podcast, presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. From the digital team at SavannahNow.com, this is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Bremer, and joining me for this episode is Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Benko. The Eagle football team recently completed their 2020 season, an against-all-odds accomplishment capped by a New Orleans Bowl victory. And while football draws all the eyeballs, Benko has been performing all the other duties of an athletic director at the same time. Over the next 45 minutes or so, he'll share some insights on some of those job complexities, his personal background and he'll talk about Georgia Southern's place on the college athletics landscape. Here's the interview with Difference Maker Jared Benko. Joining me on the latest episode of Difference Makers is Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Benko, who is a relative newcomer to Georgia Southern and to Statesboro, but is not a newcomer to the state of Georgia and everything that goes on here in uh, Southeast Georgia, particularly as a as it pertains to athletics. And, uh, Jared, let's start where we usually do with difference makers and that's a bio. And I know that when, that, when you, when you were hired as athletic director, everybody was pretty excited because they, they read about your connections. You grew up in this area. Uh, you went to school at, at UGA. You had a lot of uh, mentors that a lot of us are familiar with growing up in Watkinsville. What, uh, what was it like?
1: Well, it's changed a lot. You know, one of you was, Adam was good to be with you and, and um, you know, I'll share with you, you know, Watkinsville has changed from the standpoint. Um, you know, as, as, as Athens has grown, the Athens area has grown, the university has grown. A lot of people have moved out. So it used to be farmland around neighborhoods. So yeah, well, it's changed a lot, but it was a great upbringing. I was very blessed. Um, my dad was uh, at the Navy Supply Corps school, and that's how we got to Athens and a uh, former naval officer and was a civilian to help run the base and um, was active officer in the reserves. My mom was a school teacher. And so uh, grew up there from the time I don't know I was probably three four years old all the way up until you know leaving leaving the University of Georgia uh, in 2011 to go to Arkansas. So uh, great upbringing, very blessed. And again, you know, it's it's kind of like I'm sure it is in Savannah and other places. As you start getting older, you're like, man, I remember that it used to be this place and right. <laughs> it used to be this place. But again, so back to the, to my state, you know, there's there's something to be said when you when you're back to your home state. Mm-hmm. This sense of pride that goes along with that. I'm very proud to to be here at Georgia Southern and to be on the on the staff here, It's feel like you know, Rossi. Uh, we can talk later. Just making some good strides here, but no, there's something to be said for getting back home for sure.
0: So I'm sure your childhood was spent on ball fields and football stadium and turfs, and uh, it was it was athletics a a big part of your your upbringing?
1: No doubt. Yeah, it's probably you know hopefully in a healthy way. I was obsessed with with sports, and I was probably an average athlete. Um, you know, one of the things, and I'll tell you, you know, and especially from the standpoint of you know, lessons learned, my dad, even though you know he obviously uh, like a lot of dads had had a job, full time job, he always coached us in sports, and that's something that I, I really, I was very thankful for, just some upbringing and also to just, um, you know, whether it be um, you know, baseball, basketball, you know, whatever sports we played, and football eventually too, uh, we always had the support of our parents, and so. That kind of lend itself, and I was actually telling someone the other day, I used to collect baseball cards and autographs, your name, and so I was all in. And, and really, uh, it wasn't until I was a sophomore after my sophomore year in college, you know, I was always kind of, you know, either it was a professional sports or college sports. I knew that I wanted to go into, you know, working in sports and didn't know which path. And I really thought I got opened the door through an internship with a brace, really me that college sports is where my heart is. So i um, just very thankful to, to uh, now kind of think back on it. Seems like a lifetime ago. In some ways, it was, but it was uh, ultimately led me to where I am today. So very thankful.
0: When you say an average athlete, did you play everything, and you were just average at everything, or was there certain things that you? you uh, well, focused
1: on? I tell you when, you, when your dad's when your dad's five closer to five seven, your mom's five 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 six. You know, genetically, um, I'm almost six feet. So I was very thankful that I got some height but I stopped growing in eighth grade. So basketball in the college NBA route was out early, so <laughs> probably football and baseball will find my best sports. So.
0: Right. Right. Uh, beyond athletics, anything that, that you did as a youngster that kind of influenced you and, and carried, carried on throughout your life.
1: Yeah. I would say, you know, opportunities really to, to whether it be, you know, civically just, you know, whether it be in church or having a chance to volunteer. Um, I think early on, um, You know, it's amazing. You grow up, you don't realize what your parents, because you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And so growing up, I thought we were very affluent. We were middle class and very thankful. We had everything we needed and didn't lag for anything. But I also think my parents early on um, were very, very good. Uh, One, letting us make decisions and own them and letting us uh, fall on our face at times and learn those mistakes, but also understanding. I mean, humility was something that was... um, quite frankly, really built into us. It's, it's respecting others, respecting your elders, humility. Uh, obviously, our, our faith is important as well. And so I find myself a lot of times um, looking back at how well my parents you know, really did a great job of raising myself and my two siblings. And, you know, when you're a parent now, I have two boys that are seven and five. And um, I married up in a lot of ways. And, and one of those is my wife covers up my inadequacies and deficiencies. And there's a lot of them. Um, but, I, but also I'm very thankful because it gave, gave, I feel like it gave me a solid bedrock to grow up in and hopefully I can do that to my kids. So. Right.
0: Obviously parents, big influence there. Is there anybody else childhood wise that, that you look back on now and say, boy, that person really helped me in this way? Or yeah. That way. So I,
1: I would say, you know, from, a, from, uh, I would say from the college year, really Claude Felton at UGA, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, I actually interviewed with Claude. And Claude, for, for those that don't know, is, is, is actually Coach Julie's first hire at UGA. And so uh, Claude is a mainstay and is a big reason why where I am today. And I actually interviewed with Claude as a junior in high school. Didn't understand what communications was in, in college. I love math and I love statistics and I kind of wanted to do the whole money ball thing before it was cool and uh, interview with Claude. And, and really, Claude, you know, often, be, you know, he really, quite frankly, came like a like a, a second dad. And, uh, you know, I went to school with Christopher, his, his middle child, oldest son. And and so just the lessons I learned from him and, and his staff really stayed true, whether I stayed in communications or not. And I made that transition to the business side of the um, house, per se, per se uh, after graduation. But just his influence and Attention to small details and treating people the same. I never forget early on, he's like, listen, we're gonna treat the red and blacks to newspaper report the same as we would we would treat a, a national writer. And it's just things that I just probably at the time didn't realize the significance or impact, that's really shaped who I am. And he's the most humble person you'll meet. So really Claude had a big impact on me. And you know, I mentioned too earlier, you know, Lauren Smith and there's others in, in Athens too that really had a big influence. And I think that's the thing, Adam. I'm a, I'm a byproduct of one being blessed, but two. Um, for some reason, people saw something in me to invest time in because I still see myself as that you know gangly, scrappy 18-year-old. And right. I wish I still had a metabolism rating, more hair. But I think that that's a byproduct of really investing in others. And, and so I always try to pay it forward. Too.
0: There are those of us who hear the name Claude Felton and Lauren Smith, and, and we know who they are. We, we've known them personally. They are big names to, to a lot of us. There's others that they hear that, and they, and they don't know who that is. But for somebody who knows who, who they are and what kind of impact they've had for so long for them to be so giving of their time and, and so much and so willing to mentor you. And and as I know, they've mentored a lot of people over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that really say about them? And is that something that you try to model in your own uh, life as a leader?
1: Well, Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's so important to not forget where you came from. And I mean, I could, I could give you, I think part of the, when I was introduced here as AD, I, I gave a list of people that have had influence in my life and I probably, did a disservice because there's a lot more people that had that influence, and I just think it's so it's so important to uh, the three things I always talk about and really try to live by is be humble, and serve others, and always tell the truth. So humility, servant mindset, and have high integrity. And so um, I think it's important the the time they poured into me. What I, the best thing I can do is, is to one make them proud, but two you know pay it forward, and and that's why you know Adam I, I meet with anybody that, that wants to meet with me. Um, oftentimes it's, it's students. Sometimes it's people that are looking for a career change. Uh, sometimes it's people on staff that, you know, have different goals and aspirations. And so I've always felt that, um, you know, serving is, is not difficult at times, but really more, you know, serving leadership is a lot. But I would actually call a sacrificial leadership is what I'm interested in is what can I give of myself to others? Because it's easy. There's a lot of ways to serve. But really, if you want to get down to how do you give the most of yourself, it's really Mm sacrificially and being a sacrificial leader. And so I try to pour into people. And really, what I took from Claude and Lauren is I want people to not make the mistakes that I make and to learn from my mistakes. And I just think that's so important to have that mindset
0: so you're you're pretty much engrossed in communications and, and sports information, and then you're going to move to the business side and of course, when you're doing communications and sports information, you're also doing a, a bit of marketing yeah. so there's a little bit of a, a track there um, but when you decided to go the business route how did how did that transition go, and how much did what you uh, knowledge wise learned on a sports information side was able to translate to a business side
1: yeah, so you know the the, the mass you know, background was important. I, mean, I love numbers and financials. And that's how I came up, you know, to this position to the finance where I was a CFO and eventually as a, a deputy AD, which is more, more of the lines of a COO. Um, but as far as how the opportunity came about, I, I literally begged for the opportunity. And in fact, um, I want to say my last year in grad school, which was the 06 or 07 academic year, I went, I remember going up to my supervisors, actually, you might not mine, um, but, but, future supervisors and just saying, Hey, there's an opportunity. I would love to, to, to work up there. And here's the thing. I I turned down two jobs outside of athletics that were, you know, part of the recruiters in in my curriculum. I was in a master's public administration Mm -hmm. in Athens and turned down jobs that paid a lot of money um, to take a thousand dollar a month um, internship. You know, 25, I was blessed because I could move home with my parents. I tell people when you're trying to have a social life, and trying to uh, date, it's, it's not always the best thing to do to tell people you live with your mom and dad at 25. Right, but In Watkinsville. Uh, <laughs> Watkinsville. But, but I said, listen, <laughs> listen to what I tell you. I, I promise you I'm a winner. No, was kidding. But um, no, that's how I did it. And so I literally started on a break room table um, in, in a little uh, suite that was where the coffee pot was and everything in the business office in Athens. And then yeah, after that 10-month internship was offered a full-time job they created for me. And then Was there three and a half, almost four years, and then um, really a divine intervention. You know, God opened up an opportunity in Arkansas, University of Arkansas, for me. And it was two months before our wedding. And looking back, probably wasn't the smartest thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, two months before our our wedding, I moved to Arkansas. I didn't know anybody, and um, but that that was a tremendous growth, growth, uh, growth. I say growth opportunity, but also just for me personally because. Um, I always tell people it's like the movie failure to launch by no means am I Matthew McConaughey, but you know, a part of it was just being, being comfortable. I was extremely comfortable. I think ultimately Adam, why I left and really was at a crossroads is my comfortability as far as area and the people and being close to family really was at a crossroads and a big intersection of my aspirations. That is professionally Uh to where I worked too hard to get where I was and also had big goals and aspirations. And I just couldn't rest my laurels and be comfortable. So that, that, that's kind of where that uh, collision took place at 29 and the rest is kind of history.
0: How do you go from being somebody who, who leaves Athens from an entry-level spot into your first, I won't call it a real job, but your first, you know, step on the career ladder to getting to be an athletic director at a one wow.
1: school. It's by God's grace, right? I mean, it's not because I'm not that smart or anything else. I mean, it's, it's by His grace. And, and, and ultimately, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a byproduct of a lot of people invested in me everywhere I've been. Mm. Um, I've always tried to work hard and treat people well. Um, I have high standards for myself, but also for people I work with. And so um, also, too, in this business, it, it's like anywhere else. Uh, oftentimes, you have to be willing to, to be um, movable. And, and, and move places, and, you know, I don't know if you'd said, you know, hey, Jared, you know, you'd moved, and you ended up at four SEC schools. I'd said, you're crazy. Like, how, how does that even happen? But I do think that, you know, God's playing his best, and really for us, that's what ended up happening. Uh, I thought I was going to be to Arkansas for a short time. I ended up being four years, and, you know, loved that opportunity. And then really, Auburn opened up, and, and I would tell you, really, Mississippi State – that job and then being promoted within the first year to the number two really was, was I would say, a, a, a crucible moment in my career from the standpoint that you know at 30, gosh, I don't know what I was at the time, 34, 35, I mean, I, I had a chance to oversee a large department and really be in the room for every critical discussion. And, and for someone that's always looking to grow, uh, good, bad, and different, um, that was a huge, a huge blessing because... It really stretched me and allowed allowed me to, to uh, continue to grow, and just like this role, right? I mean, you think about—I don't ever question God's timing from the standpoint of you know why did I start a pandemic? I will share with you the last you know ten months have uh, we've all grown, right? We've all been challenged in ways that, that that have probably you know looking back we never thought we'd be challenged. However, you know it's like we talked about it in our, our our student athletes here at Georgia Southern and also our staff. We really have two choices: we can we can use it as a, as, a, as a crutch, right? Well, woe is me. Or we can say, you know what? Like, how does this help us grow? How does this position us for advancement down the road? And, and to that point, we've talked to our student athletes, and I really truly believe this, Adam. There's three things in life that you can control, and they have a big impact on your life. It's, it's your attitude, your effort, and how you treat people. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about it a lot. Listen, if you have a good attitude, every day you make a choice. You look in the mirror and say, I'm going to have a good attitude today. Two, you always have a choice on how much effort you put forth, right? And then also, two, you—how do you treat people? And if you focus on those three things, as listen, by no means are my perfect or anyone perfect, right? But if you try to focus on those three things in the midst of a of a storm and control the controllables, that's all you can do.
0: You are listening to the Difference Makers podcast in a discussion with Georgia Southern Athletic Director Jared Benko. Before we continue, let's pause and recognize the Difference Maker's presenting sponsor and a real Difference Maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether you lead a business looking to relocate to the Savannah area Or you're an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now, back to the interview. Athletic director is one of those positions that really kind of fascinates me because so few people actually understand what an athletic director does. Uh, if you could pick a couple of things that, that maybe go on behind the scenes that, that you're in charge of or that make up a big part of your job uh, that might surprise some people, what would they be?
1: Well, I mean, I think I, I, I'd be remiss to say, listen, part of the, 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 the key thing of being an athletic director is having a great team, and we're very blessed to have a, a great team around I me. Mean, you know, you always want to hire people smarter than yourself and, and they, they work really hard, and so we've got a good group here. Um, I would tell you, as far as what would surprise people, you know, I'll tell you one thing and just kind of lay in the weeds, but football scheduling is a lot more complicated. Than people yeah. like <laughs> so there's, there is a strategy to it. I mean, and so it's, it's a, it's like a long courtship. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way to describe it. Like, it's not like you can call somebody up and gets done. There's a ton of steps and it's just, I wish it was easier, but, but it's not, that's probably a, a surprise. Um, I would tell you too, you know, I don't as much as a surprise, but you're always on the clock. You know, listen, there's people that have a lot more important jobs um, than AD whether it be a doctor or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of people and teachers and everything else. But I think you're always on the clock. I mean, quite frankly, I don't lose sleep over But if I get a late call at night, my first thought, I actually got one last time. My first thought is, you know, I pray nobody got hurt or injured or whatnot. So I think that's something where when you're emotionally and physically and every part of the investment, of your, every fiber of your body is in a place, there's a sense of ownership where, yeah, two kids. I look at our 400 student athletes as our, our children. So the part that's hard is, yeah, when, when they make mistakes, we all make mistakes. I mean, heck, I still make mistakes, you know, a lot of them. But you think back to 18, 22 years old, I think sometimes um, one could think, we, you know, well, how can they be so boneheaded? And listen, we, there's times I know I was in college and made some bad decisions, right? But I also think, too, that we have to also understand that really our job at the end of the day I mean, is it truly to be an educator. Do I teach a class? No, but I do think we, we kind of teach our part instructors on on real life and it is coaching a sport, also preparing young men and women for, for life after sports. I think some people would be surprised at how much effort we put into developing young men and women holistically beyond their sport. There's yeah. a lot of things behind the scene that go on that – you know, we our goal is for they graduate from here, and that's important, right, to get a degree, but to not just walk out of here, but to literally launch out of, of, of Statesboro. And so I think that would be a surprise. And I think the last thing, too, a surprise would probably be when you look at our staff. I mean, um, we all chose our, our, our profession, and I love it. I wake up every day, and I'm ready to go. But there's a lot of hours, and this is, this is a lifestyle. Um, sometimes people say, well, you know, that's my job. And so this, but, but working in college athletics, is it lifestyle? Now, I'm not saying it's the most difficult and i would never do that. But it requires a, a lot of work. And so um, I think people will be surprised that when you go to an event or you go to a game, um, our goal is for it to be seamless and you don't yeah. notice anything. But there's a lot of work that goes in behind that. And so I think that's a credit to our staff and people in this industry that you're spending a lot of time behind the scenes in order to execute on something. And so I think they'd be surprised the amount of time it goes into something
0: like that. Yeah. And I, and I find it interesting that you talked about the, the student athletes themselves. I spent a couple of years covering Georgia tech and got to know Homer Rice a little bit and, and his whole total person program yeah. approach to, to uh, athletic administration. So you're trying to, like you said, the, the the ultimate, the big picture goal is, is to graduate and help these Young people become productive adults, but at the same time behind that you 've got compliance, ticketing, marketing, sports information fundraising it 's a, a litany it 's a litany of things that fall yeah. under and obviously you as you said it 's about having a team, you have a lot of assistants and associates that lead those different yeah. departments, but keeping all those balls in the air and keeping your eye on the prize, which is getting these kids through school and, and to be productive members of society, is something I think a lot of people just. Uh, it it doesn't always it's not front of mind
1: for them I guess yeah I would take it a step further too I think one of the and this is a societal change right but I think you know instant gratification is something that you know all of us and we we you, know, you think about uh, a great example of that is Amazon Prime right mm. I love Amazon I'm a huge you know purchaser of products on Amazon but what's interesting is is you know now I'm predispositioned to where if I want something I can get it in two days right. And I think, well, what does that have anything to do with college athletics is because we think about college athletics now, um, yes, are we trying to provide the best experience possible? But I, I think sometimes it gets lost as you think about the student-athlete experience. And sometimes it's on the immediacy of that. But I think what really, to me, you know, Adam, if you think about my definition, which doesn't really hold a lot of water, the student-athlete experiences. Is, is in five to ten years, how do we help play a role to, to get them where they are? Not only as a professional, but as a person, as a, as a dad, a mom, a spouse, a, a son, daughter, whatever else, right? And I think that's what's so important because just like yourself, and I'm sure others, like we, the biggest growth opportunities often come through adversity, but through being coached really hard. And so there's times where, yeah, I mean, we have student athletes everywhere I've been that don't, say, love their coach or like their coach. But it's always a difference between liking and respecting. And I think one of the things that I've seen is sometimes those coaches that they can coach them hard because they love them mm-hmm. are the ones that ultimately have the most impact on, on these young men and women. And, and sometimes it clicks day after graduation, sometimes 10, 15, 20 years later. And I'll tell you, I've seen too many young men and women student athletes that don't take advantage of opportunities on campus. Um, and or, you know, wish they had done things a little different like we all do. And I think part of our goal is it's not so much a safety net as much as saying, hey, you might not appreciate or have an understanding of why we're asking you to, to take a exercise A, B, and C or take part in something. But I promise you, at some point in the next five, ten years, you'll understand why we think it's important for you. So um, it's like parenting, you know, it's just like with kids. Kids don't always understand why you ask them to do something, but at the end of the day, if you know you're coming from a place of love and you have their best interest at heart, that's all you can do. I
0: want to change gears a little bit on you. We're sitting here. It's January the 13th. So we are a couple of weeks removed from the end of football season as everybody starts to shift into basketball mode and other modes. But you look back on this football season where uh, it's January 13th, I think on July 13th, we were kind of dubious that we were going to have a football season. And not only did Georgia Southern have a football season, you got, all those games in, uh, you had some you had some some COVID issues like everybody else did, and you, and you dealt with them and you navigated them. But what do you think was key to getting through the season and having uh, the success that you did?
1: Well, we were blessed to have good health. I think it, it comes back to having a plan, the next year in the plan. I mean, anybody can have a plan, but I, I'll tell you what, a lot of the credit, most of the credit goes to our student-athletes for buying into the plan. Our coaches, and that particular Coach Lonsford did a great job and his assistant coaches and staff of explaining why the plan would, would ultimately put them in a position to play the most games and, and, again, in the most favorable light. And third are all our doctors and, and, and athletic trainers, you know, and I think that when you look at it, it was a team effort, you know, it wasn't easy, um, you know, reorientating student-athletes to campus this past summer uh, was was challenging. Mm-hmm. because there's so much behavior modification that had to take place. But when you get down to it, the, you know, when you think about all the schools that either didn't play, play a shortened season, we had 12 games in, and we had a, a bowl game at 13 games in. So um, that was, that was a huge blessing. But again, the credit belongs to the people that took the advice that, that listened to best, you know, the practitioners and best practices. And then they went out and, and executed on it. So, I think that's that's where the credit belongs. And, and again, um, if you had said after the way things were doing, we had gone last summer, you know, there were times where I didn't know what football season looked like. But you didn't have one, and then to to in hindsight get through a whole whole season. Now, yeah, do we have to reschedule some games and opponents? Yeah, but to still get through twelve games was was quite the feat.
0: I'm sure every morning, whether it was sitting on your desk when you got in or on your on your cell phone when you got up in the morning was probably a report on progress of, of athletes that were, that were in or out or being out of quarantine. How nerve wracking was dealing with that?
1: Well, it was, it was, um, I mean, it wasn't a, a dull day, <laughs> you know, so, um, but I'll, I'll share with you. I, uh, just being personally, person, I'm trying to, in life, I try to really focus on things I can control and to a degree, we can kind of control um, the instruction and, and environmental creating, but ultimately I can't control 400 plus people's, you know, actions beyond, you know, the, the athletic fields and competition sites. And so, um, you know, I always, always was very conservative and understanding that, hey, we're going to have some some days that are more challenging than others. But, but again, I, I, I'm just very proud of our student-athletes because, you know, I felt like we kind of, once we got through the first couple weeks of school, you know, being back in session, we kind of hit a groove. And so really, then you, you kind of get through the mid, mid part of the year and get to the end of the year. and like, all right, well, right, let's just we find a way not to get tripped up at the last lap of a race. And right. uh, we did. And so um, I'll tell you, I mean, it went by really quick. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There were some days where you're like, man, like um, there was break or Thanksgiving or whatever the case is. when people were coming back to campus. My, my concerns were always like anybody's was when you when you leave the environment. Mm-hmm. I felt we had as, as safe of an environment as anywhere else you could be at. Um, but when you left the bubble per saying and then coming back in, what was going to happen? Your
0: other fall sports, how did things go for those that you had? And I may be completely ignorant hearing you didn't have any, or yeah. how much are you, how much are you pushing into the spring and how do you think that adjustment is going to be?
1: Yeah. So we have men's more women's soccer and then volleyball, you know, volleyball from a scheduling standpoint, really, really took it on the chin from a standpoint of quarantine because, you know, volleyball was the only sport in the fall that's inside, it's indoors. And the, and the, uh social distancing piece of stuff and the close contact protocols are, are a lot more stringent because you're inside. And so it was a lot of a uh, uh, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. Uh, now there's season like soccer's. They have the availability to play some actual competitions in the, in the spring. Now it's not a full competitive season. So this is very non-traditional, but they will have a couple chances in the spring to, to play um, soccer outside of a couple small hiccups relative to uh to a game being rescheduled for the most part, we had a really good really good year relative to 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 playing all our matches so you know competitively you know in all those sports we want to win more absolutely and I, and I feel like we're heading the right direction but a uh, big thing this year was was trying to get through that initial hurdle because volleyball in particular and I will share with you volleyball and how we tried to devise a plan has really played out well for basketball okay. So right now, because what you've got is is the same approach from a close contact testing. We're actually testing more even now with basketball because it's become more readily available. But we learned some things in the in, in the fall of volleyball that have helped us in basketball.
0: I uh, say Hanner Fieldhouse is is kind of an intimate, yeah. environment anyway. So it's probably not conducive to <laughs> to giving everybody space. To
1: yeah. So we're, we're at twenty five percent, which we've been all year. So a little north of eight hundred people, and um, you know, so far again. I think the fall, and again, I don't know how sound repetitive, but the fall taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, in some ways it was baptism by fire at, at uh, Paulson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. you know, we had up to 6,200 people. And so we learned a lot. And so I think the one thing we've tried to remain consistent on is our message, mm-hmm. triple option, wash your hands, wear a mask and socially distance. And again, we're proud of just the history of the triple option here. And so it kind of was a, 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 a you know, an easy message to get across to our fans and donors. But yeah. I think we learned that. And also, too, we we'll continue to look for ways to to adapt. And you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we had the way we marked off seats that were not to be used at Paulson because we don't have chair backs in everyone like you would in an indoor facility like Hanner. Or if you go in Hanner now, we actually have little plastic uh, inserts that cover a seat. So it's very easy to see what seats people can sit in and what's not. So visually, that allowed us to really make sure that, the right occupants in the right seats, and so you're always looking at tweaking the model. But I think that was a good lesson learned.
0: So while you're trying just to kind of to manage to get through the pandemic, you've also got some external stuff going on, whether it's mm-hmm. fundraising or your facilities or, or your marketing plan. How did that come together, and uh, is it something where you you got it going and, and you think you're going in the right direction, or is that something that it's still uh, out there? You just need to move toward that and get through what you're going through. Yeah,
1: we jumped on that early. It was, a, it was an emphasis for us. And um, I think it, it, this university, not just athletics, has such a great story to tell. And if you think about the enrollment being up 3.4% this year, we're almost at 27,000 students. I mean, we're busting at the seams in a good way. And so I've always felt, and, and just you know like anybody is, yeah, this is a dream job for me. And so I always kind of thought of, listen, if I had that, if I was blessed with that opportunity. What are some things I make a priority? And it's always been about Relationships. We're in a relationship business, and you mentioned before what what do communications do for you? Well, really, it further reiterated. I'm a big on communication from a standpoint. Just for example, and like, when I try to hire somebody in a role, they have to be able to communicate. That's mm-hmm. orally, that's written, whatever else. I mean, communication is such a undervalued asset at times or attribute for people. And so, if you think about going into a new role. Um, I wanted to to get out and see people. Another challenge, obviously, were the headwinds related to COVID. However, there were ways we tried to to, uh, not compromise that integrity and and, and you go visit people and stay outside. Obviously, wear a mask. There were ways to really get out and I'll share with you from a visit standpoint because there is a correlation between visiting people and soliciting donations. I mean, we're on track to almost triple our visits year over year and that's in a COVID environment. Ah. So I think that speaks to one, our, our intentionality with getting out, I'll give you a great example, even like in football games. Every game this year we made a priority, our staff, including myself, to get out and visit with fans, greet fans when they come in the venue, go in venue to thank them. Because I said from day one, and I still adhere to this, when people you know, spend their hard-earned you know, money and discretionary time, and neither one of those are, are rarely available for a lot of people at times, we make sure we give them a great experience and we also thank them. And gratitude is huge, and we're a big gratitude uh, uh, from an environment standpoint, making sure people will know we appreciate them. The other piece, too, while the emphasis was on getting out, is we have 126,000-plus living alumni, and our alumni number continues to grow. Well, again, a good concentration of them are blessed. A lot of people stay in the Statesboro area in Savannah. We have a ton of them in Atlanta and in southwest Georgia and in all in middle Georgia, and so you know, they're not readily available. So we have to go out and see them. And I think one of the best ways to disseminate messaging beyond social media is to get out and and do face-to-face. And I think there's a little bit of that blue-collar mentality, which has long existed before I got here, that we're trying to pay it forward. And I've said from day one, if we can combine and embrace history and and then at the same time be innovative, I think you get the best of both worlds. And if you look at the last 38 to 40 years, we have as much history here at Georgia Southern than anybody else in the country. I mean, it's amazing. When you take people on a tour, and you show people around. In fact, I was over at the football operations center the other day and had a picture of the site where Paulson was at. Then mm-hmm. we show the site where MC Anderson and all his family and, and company dug out the site for Paulson. And you think about all that in less than 40 years, it's, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. I and mean, of course, look at the six national championships and, year-in-year-out competitive in football so just really proud of that and so you know going out and seeing people was it's one of the best parts of my job mm-hmm. um, it's also one of the ones we've made a priority so.
0: again you are listening to a conversation with georgia southern athletic director jared benko on the difference makers podcast While Jared takes a short break, I have a call to action for you. Subscribe to SavannahNow.com. More and more lately, I'm told by podcast listeners and casual newspaper readers, Hey, I like what you're doing over there. How do I support you? The answer to that question is simple. Subscribe to SavannahNow.com. And if you're already a subscriber, do business with our advertisers. Remember, we aren't public radio or a nonprofit journalism website. We offer great journalism, and we charge you for the ability to consume it. Go to savannahnow.com or download our app and see our product for yourself. Then hit the subscribe button to get full access for just a pittance. Now, back to the Difference Maker interview. A little bit about finances, because I remember when when it all came down and it looked like, well, we might not have a football season. And then it looked like, well, we might have a football season, but we're going to have some fans in the stands and people were asking me about it. And they were asking about it from a bigger standpoint. And I was like, well, from the power five standpoint, their TV contracts are huge. If they can play some games and they can be on TV, if they don't have people in the stands, it's, it's going to hurt them, but it's not going to kill them. And I said, the ones you have to really think about and worry about are the, the, group of five because a lot of the money that you all recoup off of football funds so many of the other programs within your within your group you you have tv contracts but not huge tv contracts Uh, you get a lot of money off of game day experience operations when you started to look at that and you started to do the math where did you say okay going to be okay because of this or oh no we've got to figure out some other kind of revenue stream that we haven't looked at before to make sure that we're sustainable and viable
1: yeah so you that's a great question I think there's there's probably more similarities and differences as far as the the power five group of five and here's what I mean by that I mean if you think about we all have tv contracts right and are the the numbers bigger absolutely SEC when I was there was getting north of 46 million so yeah, they are. The numbers are definitely different. I think the biggest difference um, would be relative to reserves, right? right? And also to the ability down the road to borrow and future cash, right? right. And so they have the advantage here, but if you want to get back into similarities, I mean, I think, um, you know, I always tell people you have a, a cost of the ticket and the do- donation or contribution required to buy that ticket. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate this year that our our, our fan base continued to, to show out of the best in the country. And they stepped up, and a lot of people, if they opted out, you know, we gave fans this year a chance to opt in or opt out. But if they opted out. A lot of people left their donation in, okay, which was huge for us. Um, now, some people opted out for the ticket piece and said, "Hey, apply that balance to next year." And so, you know, that that's the piece that every school I mean, listen, there's all types of reports. It doesn't take very long to Google. I and mean, there's schools that are 40, 50, 60 million deficits are anticipating this year. Right. Obviously, we're nowhere near that. Right. But I do think percentage-wise, I mean, I think we all felt the uh, impact of, of having a partial statement. I think that from a revenue standpoint, emphasis has continued to be on uh, fundraising, external funding, and really going out. And you know, we did some campaigns that, you know, this has been a strong this past summer uh almost generate a hundred thousand dollars just to help bring you know supply uh, additional year of eligibility for student athletes so philanthropically we've been more aggressive now on the expenditure side because they work hand in hand right we, we've had a um essential spending really you know order for lack of a better term or policies has not started and so when i say essential i mean it, it truly is essential and so Um, You know, you think about our budget, so much is tied up in, you know, obviously personnel, you know, our student-athlete, financial aid, costs of keeping the lights on doing business. Discretionary spending, as much as we can, has been cut out. and We try to almost cut ourselves to the bone, but that's what you have to do in a situation like we are. And so we feel like we've done the best we can for our our, our third forward and still more work to be done. We're still mid-year, you know, in, but to continue to generate as much revenue as we can cut expenses as much as we can and and the hope obviously would be those two things paired together best position us to to get through this year
0: georgia southern is has really seen quite the evolution in its athletic department going back about the last decade as it moved from from southern conference and what was then known as one double a into the fbs ranks in the sunbelt conference and uh, stadium expansions and everything else that went with with making that move and and I'm sure you're aware of this. It was somewhat controversial. It had some people saying, you don't have the, you don't have the businesses in the town and everything else to support it. And how are you going to fill up a 30,000 seat stadium and, and on and on. And uh, as you coming in with fresh eyes and have looked back over that really a brief period of time, uh, how has Georgia Southern navigated that? And are there a couple of things that you look and put your finger on and say, this is where we are and if we're really going to get to this next point up, this is what has to happen.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think uh, you know, my are Tom Finland and, and others um, did the best they could and did a good job navigating that that transition. from FCS to FBS. Um, you know, Dr. Killers, a lot of people that were here long before I got here, uh, that had a big part in that. I would share with you that uh, you know, I didn't I didn't come here just to be personal. I thought I'm talking more about the team we but I didn't come here to be average um we're not going to be average and so as I said earlier I mean Georgia Southern is a national brand I mean yes are we uh, regionally a, a powerhouse sure but but aspirationally I mean we're going to be at 30,000 students here in the next several years and so our school and we're, we're, we're pumping out some of the best and brightest and so when you start looking at the front porch of the university, I, I tell people all the time, this is a great example. And by no means am I comparing myself to Alabama. But you think about the impacts, that successful sport teams. Mm-hmm. Tuscaloosa is no yep. different. Growing up, I mean, I go to Tuscaloosa, and it wasn't much bigger than a lot of towns, Auburn and others I was in. You go to Tuscaloosa now, and the impact Nick Saban and the programs have on the local economy, exponential Like People say, well, he makes $8, 9000000 million. Well, he's underpaid. Relative right to what the return on investment he's brought to the to the, to the city and the university, because there's a correlation. I tell people all the time, there's a correlation with success in your highly watched sports and enrollments and applications of the school, and that's everywhere. And so I feel like our best days are ahead as our university profile continues to increase as the attraction of our university increases to not only students in the state but outside the state. Athletically, we're, we have aspirations of striving to be better. And I, I think that uh, – and I feel confident that we can put a good, a good forward-facing look on this university because um, we had a potential, and, and I said before, our goal is to be successful in all 17 sports competitively. Now, we don't talk much about you know, objective goals, when change. It's about the daily process of, of getting better every day and embracing that. And that's, you know, listen, process and culture or overused terms, but but we truly believe in that. And so um, our best days were ahead. I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel that way.
0: Right. That front porch argument is one that I think people overlook at Georgia Southern all the time, right? It's 1980 before there was a football program. You talked to people that were around and, you know, enrollment was half what it is now. And it was, you know, depending on who you talk to, they'll say it was glorified teachers college. You look now in a brief period of time since the football program came in and where Georgia Southern has become uh, in terms of enrollment, in terms of being a research institute, being all these other things. And that has a lot to do with football and athletics. And I think sometimes people maybe lose sight of that.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, we have over 104, 150, might be 160 people. Honestly, I think it's 161 different degree programs here. I mean, Mm. I think we can recruit the best and brightest. And so, you know, it's interesting. You brought up a great point, Adam. Like, when I'm out talking to people that are alums, uh, or even people that weren't alums but are big, you know, big true Blue Eagles, I mean, the, those that were around this place from the from the 80s on, there's as much affinity as any place I've ever seen and been yeah. before. And I think that, that that's a big reason why our enrollment, you know, even even prior to the the merger with Armstrong and Atlantic, yeah. I mean – this, this place is booming, and that's why, you know, we have prospective student-athletes in here, we have prospective students in here, but aren't you student-athletes, you know, what I'm really proud of is to say, listen, you can get a, a quality, top-notch education, you can have the college experience, and be around very high-level athletic events, and, and of course, socially you're going to grow as well, and so I, I'm proud of our faculty, I'm proud of our staff, I think Um, Listen, the best thing you can ever say is, I want my child to to go to school here. And and that's how I feel. And obviously, I'm thankfully years away from that because I don't want to think about all the costs associated with getting to teenage years. But I just think this place has so much opportunity. And, yes, are we we proud of where we are right now? I'll give you a great example. I was over at the, the engineering opening of the ribbon cutting of that building. State of the art. State of the art. In fact, I don't know. I don't know of a place in the in the in the state that has an engineering building like that. And so, our best days are ahead. And so, I think that's what's so important is that there's so much momentum down here. And for so long, it's it's been, hey, we're pumping out graduates to you know to supply the, the the opportunities in South Georgia and maybe Middle Georgia and stuff.
0: And we're sending them all
1: over. Yeah, and all we send them to Atlanta, we're sending them all to the South and all over the country. And I'm, I'm proud of that.
0: You mentioned Armstrong, and it made the the light go off on of my head because I can't believe it. I didn't think to write it down before. Is uh, some of the teams have come down in practice, have come down and played. Of course, this time next year we'll be ready to open a, a new arena here in town. How much does does the Armstrong campus and and maybe Savannah in terms of a place to to play a little bit more games? How much is that in your plans, yeah. or is that just something that you know we got to get deal with what we're dealing with now? But that is in the plan in the
1: no, I mean, it's really important, and, and I'll tell you, I, I probably, uh, in the face of the adversity with COVID, was probably not as realistic as I probably should have been from the standpoint that, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, we had a we had an event planned to do a, a Midnight Madness event um, in a I'm saving location because we want to do it next year. It's a great location in Savannah and really make it a, you know, plant a flag metaphorically of Georgia Southern because we have a campus there, but, you know, Georgia Southern right there in the heart of Savannah, and so... You know, we, we went down and visited with Savannah Sports Council and, and talked to the group that's managing the, the new arena. And so, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. We wanted to have a, a healthy presence down there. And, and, you know, our plans are playing Grayson this spring, you know, unless the schedule changes. So I think to answer your question, Savannah, that area, is really important to us. But even beyond the teams playing there and having practices and events there is – you know, from a from a staff standpoint and from my standpoint, that's a huge focus area for us because uh, we have a lot of graduates, and not only Savannah, but Boulder. I mean, the whole Savannah metropolitan area. And so, you know, I think um, there's some things that have worked well in the past. I've heard some feedback because I wasn't here on some things that were, you know, were lukewarm or marginally successful. I think for us, it's more of letting people in the Savannah know that one, you know, they're all part of uh, the True Blue, you know, True Blue uh, Nation, but but also to understand they are a priority. And, you know, there's not, a, there's not a, a secret plan for how we do that other than we have to be present down there. And I think there's a way of balancing that because in the day, state sport is always going to be our home base. But I do think Savannah is, is really important to us and is a strategic foothold from the standpoint of a lot of the alums and fans down there.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because when I meet new people in town that are relatively new to town and they find out that I'm not from here, I didn't go to I didn't go to school around here, there it's like man, everybody in this town went to UGA, and I'm like, no, <laughs> everybody in this town went to Georgia Southern. I mean, you look at the yeah. at this town and the population and the in the place that they went more than anywhere else with Georgia Southern. And I always find that interesting. That
1: Yeah. And I, and I think there's a, there's a little bit of a theme there too, because from a standpoint as, as our alumnus or alumni total grows, mm-hmm. and I could give you the same argument relative to, to like, it's amazing. you go to Atlanta and it's like, well, this person is this person. And it really is that six degrees of separation. So I think that's the most daunting, but the, also the most um, plentiful opportunity we have here. Is connecting with a with a a fan base and alumni base that, quite frankly, you know has not been I would say cultivated and stewarded the way we all want to do, and so right. that's why we're bringing the Eagle Clubs back this spring, right. Right. working around COVID. But that's so important. Did you think about it? You know, the days of of uh, you know Coach Russell and Frank Hook and Rick Mandy's, and them going out in the road. I mean, that's what we're bringing it back to people because I think there's something special with taking, I had to say, the band, getting the band back together and getting it on the road, yeah. but going to see people in their home environment, allowing those groups to to have those events however they want to have them um, and from the standpoint of location and menu and who's invited. But I do think that's what makes this place special is that there's it's blue collar, absolutely. But it's really good people. And that's what's so important is a chance to make sure that we know that we're only as good as our fans and supporters. And we're going to go out and see them. And I think that's why well, I've committed to go to every one. I think right now we have 16 commits. We're going to add a few more. The goal would get up, to be, I guess, would be 20 this year or next year. And continue to grow that because as our alumni base grows, we're going to have more and more pockets and concentrations of alums in different areas. And so you might say, all right well, right now, we have one in Albany. And maybe Albany at some point splits off and you have one in Thomasville you have someone, you know, in, in you know, Leesburg, whoever knows, and that's just
0: an example. My last topic for you, and I was going to go to it earlier, and I got sidetracked with the, with the Arntron discussion is, of course, uh, about a month ago, the Knight Commission, which is a group of, uh, it's not associated with the N- NCAA, but oh, it is a lot of the same people. And it's a lot of people within athletics. They look at, certain topics that are impacting college athletics and they break them down and they analyze them and then they make recommendations. And uh, throughout the last couple of decades, a lot of the recommendations become NCAA is, is the way that the NCAA goes. So I use that as a setup. A month ago, the Night Commission looked was yep. been looking at football and the model uh, that basically looks at power five versus everybody else, a group of five. And, and their recommendation was we've reached a point that the power five for a lot of reasons and a lot of good reasons, let's, let's not say otherwise we've reached a point where the power five needs to go off and do their own thing. Obviously that would have a lot of impact on schools like Georgia Southern. Uh, I know that it's not official. The NCAA isn't talking about it, but I wondered as, as you've kind of watched that from, from where you're sitting, what is your outlook on that? And is it something that, that, that troubles you a little bit?
1: Yeah, listen, I, uh, I'm not a policy expert, but I would, I would share. I'm not a fan of that. I think, you know, college athletics uh, continues to evolve like anything in life, right? I mean, we don't live in a static environment. And so, um, I think the, 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 you know, the, the CFP, you know, there, there, there's going to be a lot of attention on that. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I think there's a, there's a lot of compelling arguments to expand that number from four or whatever, it be eight or whatever. Um, I do think, you know, from a uh, from a group of five standpoint, uh, we need to continue to find ways that there's a pathway or gateway for the best group of five teams to be uh, in consideration for playing some of these power five schools, uh especially in the postseason as it relates to it. So I'm not a fan of just a, a clear delineation between the two. I think more than anything. Yeah, the hot button issues right now are the name, image, likeness piece, and there's also the one-time transfer. Um, Yeah, I'm a big fan of transparency and also consistency and how transfers are are, are viewed. Uh, And I've said from day one, I mean, listen, are there some challenges, pros and cons with which way you you stand? Absolutely. But I also share with you, too, I mean, I want student athletes that, that want to be here. And, and so if you have student athletes that ultimately feel this is not the place that they want to be, um, you know, you want to work, make sure you work with them and make sure you can try to make them uh, in, in the, best, the best position or best place to be successful. Um, I think that the, the problematic, the challenging piece is that, you know, different um, cases get viewed differently. And I think that, that's probably been a source of frustration for some, obviously in the business. You know, the name image likeness piece is Pandora's box because at the heart of, of the issue, you know, you want to find ways that, that, that both sides metaphorically can agree on. I think that anytime in life, as well as, as this situation, you have to come in from the angle of where where can people find the holes in the language? You can make the analogy like the new tax codes get put out Well, people are going to find the holes in the textbook. That's right? right. Yeah. Well, this is no different. And so, you know, my concern, we name them as lightness. Um, and unless there's some things that I think that are very easy, quite frankly, to implement, I think would be advantageous to, to student athletes. And I'm not opposed to, to many of those. Where I get concerned about is is really, uh, one, people taking advantage of the student athletes, uh, relatively to advisors, to agents, to handlers, whatever you want to call them, I get a little concerned because 18 and 22-year-olds are in the best position to make some big decisions when it comes to financing and marketing and stuff like that. And so, you know, what safeguards and, and you know, guardrails can be put in place to help these young men and women? I think that's really important. The other piece, too, I would share with you is, you know, I, I do think it creates, you know, potential – Opportunity for the best group of five student athletes to to be picked off. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that, when you look at the one-time transfer um, potential legislation, along with the name of his likeness, there's some things you know as far as offerings and things that the Power Five can do that we can't come close to. But from a resource standpoint, so I think that's part of just making sure we're all on the same page of what those understandings of, of what you can and can't do because i think that's the piece that there's there's so much being tried to really expedite it down the path of approval that my always my, my big concern like a lot of people is what are the unintended consequences right because right the intent is is to do right by people and i, I understand that and listen there are arguments on both sides relative to full grant aid and what this current student is receiving right now and everyone has a personal preference but i just whether it's a, a change of of you know, whether it be how scheduling happens or whatever the name is like, is whatever the case is just making sure due diligence has been administered and the, the, the conversation is being had in the right place. And so right now, a lot of those conversations have been paused or or, or extended to see what the Supreme Court uh, does with the Ulster case. So that's going to have a big impact to what happens going forward. And, you know, again, each state, there's tons of states that have legislation. And some. I think Florida gets enacted supposedly this summer and, you know, how that all works and I don't know. So yeah.
0: be a good trial. Let, let them experiment with it. Yeah, there's That's a lot, fine. there's a
1: lot more smart people than I am. They can figure that out. <laughs> I just, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not as uh, up to speed on each state, what they're doing, but I know there's a lot of similarities in some of the bills. Right. Right.
0: Well, as you can tell, I could talk about this all day, but we're going to yeah. have to, <laughs> we're going to have to leave it there. I really appreciate your time and agreeing yeah. to be part yeah. of Difference Makers and uh, welcome. Uh, all these months later and we'll look forward to talking to you again.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. And I always end by saying uh, Hill Southern and uh, GATA.
0: That's all for this episode of Difference Makers. Thanks again to Georgia Southern's Jared Benko and to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders such as Savannah political icon Al Scott, Make-A-Wish George's Megan Lowe, and Plant Riverside district developer Richard Kessler. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. On behalf of myself and producers Asha Gilbert and Zach Dennis, thank you for listening.